I'm Dr. Jamie Grant. I'm a bossy femme bottom, and this is Just Sex, Mapping Your Desire. Listeners may know me as the founder of the Desire Mapping Workshop, which I've offered for the past 10 years on college campuses, at LGBT leadership and health conferences in the U.S., and at global human rights conferences on women's and LGBTI health, rights, and liberation around the world. Desire Mapping has been a hit in Cape Town and Beijing, in St. Petersburg, Russia, and Wellington, New Zealand, And in the U.S., I've crisscrossed the country from Denver to Dallas to Detroit to D.C. This fall, I'm bringing the workshop to Seattle for the first time and then back to Minneapolis for a series of community events. The Just Sex Mapping Your Desire podcast is a desire travelogue of sorts, a sharing of the questions I've posed to people of all races, genders, sexualities, ages, and abilities, in many different languages, cultures, and geographies, and also the answers mappers have so generously offered about their sex and desire journeys. Over the course of a decade of mapping, I've discovered a single commonality that might surprise you. The singular thing we desire mappers have in common is this. We all lie about what we want. We lie to strangers, we lie to our beloveds, and most of all, we lie to ourselves. Every single mapper I've met who has been willing to dig into that file cabinet, that place where we hold our most sacred and significant memories of intimacy, connection, and yearning, has found gaps between what we actually want in those precious moments of connection and what we have been willing to ask for, how we have represented ourselves, and what we ultimately did or received. In each episode, I'll interview someone who has taken or led a desire mapping workshop and ask them about a point on their map. Often we will look at that perilous gap, the gap between who we are and our waking and walking life, our identities, and who and what we want to do in bed. The reality is that all of us have had to fight for and form our identity and our sexuality with multiple forces working against us. Racism, sexism, queer, trans, and biphobias, and sex phobias. We've had to push back against the expectations and agendas of our parents, our mentors, the interwebs, churches, coaches, and even our closest friends. Desire mapping asks us to look deeply at our sex stories for clues about the true selves we've left behind in that struggle. Today, I'm talking with Shannon Perez-Darby, a shero of mine whose work on transformative justice and accountability has literally changed my life. And if you haven't read The Secret Joy of Accountability, I really can't recommend it highly enough. Shannon has been a part of the Desire Mapping Institute at the National LGBTQ Task Force's Creating Change Conference, I think for the past five or six years. And we're also hatching some upcoming events in Seattle. Uh, So welcome, Shannon, and if you could introduce yourself in the way that we do at the workshop by offering three terms that describe your desire and also then offering anything else that's important for us to know about you. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. So yes, my name is Shannon, and I think the words that I'm going to use today are fat, bratty, and femme. 
which are some of my easy go-to words. And, um, you know, other things about me, I'm uh, Ayushi and her pronouns. I am queer and mixed and Latina and lots of other things in the world and a dancer. And like most things, how I introduce myself changes on the day. So we'll go with that today. That's great. So one of the things I've loved about what you've brought to the mapping workshop is your identity as a shy person. And that's given so many shy mappers the space to embrace their shyness and figure out how to still sift through their desire journey and and at times share their stories. So I just want to put that out there, just an appreciation for the shy. And other than that, I'm just excited to hear anything at all that you'd like to tell us about what's going on in your desire journey right now, what matters, what you're thinking about and moving through. Yeah, I um, I appreciate your shout out about the shyness, <laughs> uh, kind of a coyness that I is a very important part of my sexuality. I um, just actually had a date last night with somebody who I've been dating. They were talking about uh, just learning about my coyness, which is a like, come here, but then one step back, but then go away, but not too far away. <laughs> and just trying to just learn the rhythm of that. Yeah, you know, because desire can be so many things. Thing I've been thinking about lately in my kind of desire mapping journey and my desire journey is this piece around, particularly as a as a femme who likes to be penetrated, who really likes having sex, who, you know, also identifies as a slut, um, and who, you know, generally has sex with people, I always other queer people, um, generally folks who are on a like more transmasculine and gender queer transmasculine spectrum, um, thinking about the ways in which my desire has become a disproportionate part of the sex that I have. Um, and thinking about because I access my desire um, pretty easily. One of the things I talk a lot about when it comes to sex is that like my secret sex skill is that I get and stay wet really easily and forever. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a great sex skill. It's a great, it's not, I don't know, <laughs> skill because I didn't cultivate it. It's just a thing my body does. It's not on purpose. Um, and so because of that and because of how I experience my desire, it's pretty accessible to me. For me, like orgasms are come easy. They're not something I historically have to work that hard for, which is mm-hmm. awesome. And often I am partnered or having sex with people who do not have that experience about their body, who do not have a feeling that desire is, comes to them easily, or that orgasms are like just really abundant and at the surface and easy to access. Right. And so having, trying to navigate this experience of feeling like so much of my sex that I have tends to then disproportionately be focused on, on me and Mm -hmm. like on me and my body and my, my ability to orgasm or whether I'm orgasming and trying to think about how to navigate an equitability in that, because there's nothing about that that's wrong or bad. Like that's actually, it's great. It works for me. I like it. Right. I also like other people's bodies and desires. And I, it's like really fun to make people come. It's really fun. I really like it. I Mm -hmm. I don't, I want to do it too. <laughs> like that same feeling you have of that it's fun to make me come. It's really fun to make you come. Right. Trying to think about like navigating those conversations with partners and knowing the, knowing there's many complex ways that people find themselves in their desire or struggle with desire or in complex conversations with their bodies. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's been coming up for me a lot in my desire mm-hmm. field. <laughs> that's pretty interesting. And have you had success previously with trying to start that conversation with people who have, you know, maybe a little more armor around their bodies because of maybe the different kinds of violence that's directed at those bodies? And how's that gone? Do you, 
do you have ideas and tips for people who are listening about how to talk to partners who may not have it as easy as, you know, you or I do around, you know, coming and, and, and whatnot? Yeah. I mean, I think I love talking about sex. I, I find it actually just as fun as actually having sex personally. <laughs> like I love like a dynamic and a get into a thing. Um, and so for me, like having conversations as much as tolerable in like the light of day, not just laying next to each other and starting with sharing my own experience. So talking about me, my desire, what I like, what I don't like can be the access point for that. Yeah. And I think just like a sense of curiosity, just getting really mm-hmm. curious about mm-hmm. what turns people on, about their desires, about what what is the dynamic between us. So a lot of openness and then a lot of like affirmation about what does work. I love what you said about, you know, um, not doing the sharing like when you're in the moment, but trying to find other ways to build access, set up the conversation. One of the things we say in the mapping workshop when we do like do's and don'ts is that we're often loading the bed (laughs) with conversations that are complex and can be much more difficult if we're actually right in the moment of having sex with each other, right? Creating some sense of fun, some sense of adventure, as you say, some sense of curiosity. I, I love thinking about how to create conversation that just doesn't weigh us down as we try to keep moving forward. I love doing um, lists of either your top tens together or your top threes in life, ways that you have really found yourself, surprises, things that get us excited about our path and the connections that we can make to each other rather than sort of thinking of everything as like a heavy reveal or a roadblock. And for me, I've been learning more that storytelling is a really important part of that. You know, even actually just recently, as I'm getting to know a new date, they were asking me, like, what are the things you'd like me to say to you? Or what are the things that you like to hear when you're having sex? And one of the things I said to them was, I absolutely know the answer to that question. And it is intolerable for me to tell you right now. (laughs) That's so great. Uh, I know what it is. I cannot tell you right now. It's actually like standing in it because I know actually like what this person is that asking for it, I would get it. And then you actually have to tolerate getting the thing you've asked for too. Like that's actually a whole other realm. And so I often find myself telling a lot of stories about discovering when I found a thing or being like, I had no idea I would like this thing. You know, I was telling this story recently where I had two one night stand kind of random hookups where both Uh, those folks slapped me in the face without like checking in about it Mm -hmm. and having like, it worked great for me. Like I was like, I was like, cool, that's hot. I like that. But having this thing of, you know, I don't know if that's something I would have just like asked a relatively kind of new person I was having sex with to do. Right. But enjoyed. And so like, instead of saying, Hey, will you hit me in the face? (laughs) um, I told a story about discovering I enjoyed when the, like when these people did something. And so for me, sometimes, especially in my coyness, a story can be a way to like (laughs) get there instead of just like staring you in the face saying like, will you do this thing? Or I like it when you, because sometimes that's not always so tolerable to me. Mm -hmm. One thing I really love what you just said there that I want to pick up on is this notion of once we do start showing up more and maybe sharing stories about what we really like and being able to define for our partners what it is we really want, then we have to be ready to get it. And that that can be 
really kind of overwhelming or there's there's a whole bunch of surprise that can come with where we find ourselves when we do start getting can you talk a little bit about that about how that's been for you this might be an aside but I suspect it's not so I was at the accountable communities convening that happened in our city in late April. And one of the things that I was really picking up on was that folks were had a lot of spaciousness to talk about what wasn't working or about kind of messy hookups or people love to hear stories about fuckboys. Um, and then when I wanted to start talking about my like loving, equitable relationship, like with my partner that has brought me connection and joy and excitement and sex over a long period of time, people can't hear it. Like they actually can't tolerate it. Like I just noticed people checked out after about 30 seconds of that. They'd be happy to hear me to tell a 10 minute story about some hookup. You know, just thinking about this thing around like, what is the joy and excitement of actual equitable loving connection? Because it's actually amazing. Mm-hmm. Much of the experience that I've had, particularly with my partner is about, oh, I didn't even know this was possible. And that actually having to like build my tolerance to be actually able to receive and accept a truly loving thing. Mm-hmm tell this story a lot that when my partner had been together 11 and a half years now, and when it was getting to our first year anniversary, I started freaking out. And it was because he'd always been so nice to me. And I assumed that you could only be fake nice for like a year. Um, I just made that story up. And then I was coming to a year and I was like, well, he's going to start being shitty now. Um, And, you know, and it was literally about like not being able to tolerate a person who like was loving and kind and could show up. Um, And so I've had to really build my muscle to do that and to build my muscle to actually like, not only like express what I want, but actually just receive it. And, uh, and it's, it's surprising and actually a little sad how slow it is to, once I figured it all out, all the things that I wanted actually being able to receive them is a really like, it takes a lot of embodiment practice for me. How, How do you think you have done it, managed it? I mean, what kind of help and support and connection in your friendships did you have to find to be able to really start to receive? Yeah, I think there's two things I'm doing right now that are body-based practices that makes me think of. Um, So one is dancing and like particularly pole dancing. So I'm part of a community of women who um, dance at at the studio and very much a community. There's a practice there called boudoir where we, it's kind of a freestyle um, dance practice, very much do it in community with each other. And so there's this advanced series where you, um, it's very much about dancing with each other. And so there's a lot of practices of like receiving, of mirroring, of letting people kind of literally hold you and practicing in this place that feels so safe and so like a place that really loves femininity that was really important to me um that gives permission to be sexual without the feeling that I'm being like weird or inappropriate or creepy like and then just getting to be in my body in an organic way because you also do these things you you do like a freestyle dance that you're kind of showcased and where everyone is just supporting you and loving you and just screaming how great and hot you are (laughs) to watch other people and do that. And it's like the watching people is like half of the joy of getting to do the pole dancing. It's like this given this, this take that you have, you're celebrated and then you get to be in your body. And so I think getting to practice that in like a place that can be sexual, but isn't explicitly sexual. Like I'm not having sex with any of those people. It's sexuality is allowed, but we're not having sex. And that has been true, really healing. Um, So I would say that. And then I've been working, different kinds of somatics practices over the years and generative somatics and other kinds of body-based practices of being able to kind of live in my body in, in community, not just like by myself at my house um, that have really helped me with 
with embodying of like receiving desire. Well, all of what you're talking about really is reminding me of the work you did and continue to do. You referred to the New York convening recently around building accountable communities and that there's that sense that if we can build in our friendships and among all the people that we love, this kind of muscle, as you would say, or cartilage, you know, connectivity, where the bar is really high around how much people are giving to us and how much we are receiving and how much is beautiful and true and authentic and really meets us as we are. It does build that muscle for when we get into sexual, intimate territories that we may be trying to find new places in ourselves or trying to explore new territories in our partners. One of the things that I really heard loud and clear that was so comforting to me at the Building Accountable Communities convening was this echoing back about just some grief that we are collectively not further on that. Um, That, you know, I talk about all these ideas of being in community and doing accountability as a, as a friendship task to say, like, I actually just had a conversation with sort of a new bestie of mine. Um, she's very quickly becoming a very, very close friend around accountability. She started dating somebody new. She was like, I'm afraid I'm going to let, let this relationship take up too much space in my life. And she's like, and I need help if I'm going too deep in. So I asked, yeah, what do you need? You know, and she's like, I think I just need you to tell me. And I was like, oh, I can totally tell you. <laughs> And I was like, I want to let you know, you're not there now. I think leaning in totally makes sense. You're not even close to there, but I'll tell you. And so, you know, we actually had that that explicit conversation of, I'm going to need you to tell me if I'm like off the track here. And while that is a value I have, there's very few of my friendships that actually can do that. And so I think this grief sometimes that such a wonderful practice and then our actual skill sets to be like, so if the day comes when she is, you know, she's banned all her friends and she's up in her relationship, I'm still going to have to muster up the the courage to be grounded and tell her that. And Mm -hmm. that may go well. Like that's like, that's a great idea over drinks, like happy hour at the end of the work day. And then the actual, Hey buddy, you're, you're too deep in come back to me um, is a really different practice that actually is really challenging. Mm -hmm. And so I think just this gap, like all things between the vision and the actual reality on the ground, we're still kind of collectively really in baby steps around a lot of this work. Yeah, so I was wondering if there's anything else you want to carry back to us from that convening around, you know, just sort of the emergent strategies of, you know, accountability and building the kind of communities we need so that living in loving, accountable relation with each other feels reflexive. We're not there. (laughs) So that when, you know, practices that are painful or even dangerous to us. They're so obvious because we've created that kind of thing. That's I love that in your article. Was there anything kind of special or interesting that stood out for you in the convening that you're taking back right now into your desire map and your desire journey? I think the biggest takeaway for me, for me from that convening is this piece about scale and about hearing from a lot of folks about how do we scale the work of accountability and the work of loving, equitable relationships. What I really heard from people loud and clear was that we need to start at a hyper local scale, that we we are not ready to scale this up for the nation, for the world. Start with your five best friends, right. your partner, your household, and get it worked out there. Um, 
And I just heard that from the people who who I could literally witness be in good relationship. Had this experience, um, which I've always had with Mia Mingus specifically. I think she talks about that a lot around just like, great, what are you doing with your people? Um, and one of the things that was so hopeful for me about that convening was that sort of some of the, the core group who was helping to put it on, who was having some, um, who are a lot of practitioners having these conversations, I could really see how they were people doing their own work. So, so often I have this experience where people are like talking about something they're so clearly not embodying. Mm -hmm. And I got to watching them be warm to each other, having lots of grace with each other, watching them volunteer to set up the chairs (laughs) and, you know, nobody was like too cool or too good to like, just be with each other Mm -hmm. and be in relationship. Um, And so I could, I actually got to like physically feel in my body what it was that the people who were doing this work, who were actually practicing it in their own lives. And Mm -hmm. so for me, that was my biggest takeaway was like actually feeling what that was like to be in uh, around people for three days who were doing it in their own world and their own lives, because that's the thing I'm so hungry for is like, we all have really great ideas, but like, if we just are like treating each other bad every day, like that doesn't do me any good. Your great ideas don't do me any good if we like can't actually be in relationship with each other. Yep. So that's the hopefulness I really took from that weekend. And is there anything else you want to tell us about your desire that I haven't touched on or asked you about? Anything else that's been going on or moving through your system or feels kind of interesting right now? Yeah, I think just the last thing is I um, have been doing a lot of work about what is hell yes look like for me. Mm. You know, in some ways I had this gift of a relationship where I dated somebody who was a maybe the whole time, who just, you know, their relationship to me was always kind of maybe. And while that was not ideal, it actually was a really powerful experience to get really clear about like the difference between maybe and hell yes. And then by contrast being like, oh yeah, I... I don't have space in my life to pour into like a eh, kind of orientation to me. Mm-hmm. Having a place of abundance and getting really clear in the like the vibrancy and the resiliency that comes from a hell yes. And that like actually like the gift of that, that relationship was that it helped me get clearer about my hell yeses. And so like I've been in this place for the last like four or five months of just having the like, what is a hell yes about my life become crystal clear. And so like, hell yes around sex, hell yes around my creativity, hell yes around writing, hell yes about my relationships. It's so great. And so (laughs) just sharing this piece around like, what is the vibrancy of just getting to live a life that's just like, hell yes. Like that's a (laughs) yes, not a like, I don't know, maybe when I see you, I'm going to wrap it up with the like, maybe (laughs) when I see you vibe. And I want to have people around me who are like, yes, you, I want to be in friendship and community with you. Mm. And it's just a better life. Oh yeah. My gosh. Well, you know, it's making me think of how in the workshop, we often do these actual maps, people draw their maps and, I see a big hell yes in the middle of your map this year and all the other things growing around it, right? I mean, that's that's really powerful. So thanks so much for being with us and sharing with us. And I'm excited to uh, do some organizing with you and get out there this year and, and do some workshops together. I can't wait. I really appreciate you having me on and getting to be in conversation with you. Love you. Love you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And now it's time for Definition of the Day. When I started writing my book, which we'll talk about in future podcasts, 
I thought to put a glossary at the back to help people who were unfamiliar with the many terms mappers use to describe their anatomy, their desires, and their relationships. But when I went to consult existing sources, I found that most of the definitions were really problematic. In fact, they were bound by the very forces that we're trying to counter in the work that we're doing when we map. So I created my own. Every week, I'll pull one word out of my glossary and then look forward to your feedback and advice. So let's start with one of the least understood and most maligned pieces of anatomy that I can think of, the clitoris. Da-da-da, the clitoris. A significant sex organ of some female-identified persons and women, as well as some male-identified genderqueers and trans men. The clitoral hood encases the clitoral glands, which is located at the top of the labia. Possessed of thousands of nerve endings, the clitoris is extraordinarily receptive to stimulation. Patriarchy, aka sexism, has distorted both the art and the science of the clitoris for thousands of years. Until recently, the clitoral hood and the glands, or the joy button, as I prefer to call it, were mistakenly believed to be the clitoris in its entirety. In fact, the clitoris extends beneath the labia and has a much more extensive field of stimulation than previously believed. Additionally, under patriarchy, the clitoris has alternately been ignored, women don't need or deserve pleasure, or feared. Women's pleasure is dangerous and inappropriate, or trans men don't like to be pleasured that way. Patriarchal constructions of pleasure can also result in overly emphasizing the clitoris as a site of pleasure. Women and female-identified people who were not born with clitorises and people whose clitorises have been marred or destroyed by patriarchal aggression can still attain intense sexual pleasure via the pursuit of their authentic desire and attention to the responses to various social and sexual stimuli. In the U.S., manual and oral stimulation of the clitoris are common routes to orgasm in women. Tribidism, or rubbing slash mashing the clitoris against the vulva, pubic mound, penis, or the thigh of a consenting partner is another common clitoral route to orgasm. The clitoris. Now let's finish up with another of my favorites, a term for one of my least favorite kind of sexual actor, the sexual shoplifter. Da, 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 da. Sexual shoplifter. A sexual shoplifter is someone who, in their sexual life, quote unquote, plays with gender, race, ability, body size, or another core aspect of a partner's identity, and then fails to work to dismantle sexism, racism, ableism, fat phobias, and other forms of structural violence in their waking and walking life. You may know a shoplifter as someone who leads race play in a kink dungeon, or loves dirty talk with their feminine spectrum sex partner that features words like bitch or cunt. And yet by day, this shoplifter is silent as they sit among other white men in a white male-only board meeting. Sexual shoplifters of any race or gender never stick their necks out or risk their social or material security when it comes to, say, hiring women, people of color, 
fat or disabled people or queers into the leadership of their organization company. Hey, we're going to take a little break from the show to let you know about my fantastic sponsors. First, Grinder for Equality, a global human rights program leveraging the power of our social and sexual connections for LGBTQ liberation rights and safety around the world. Also, I'd like to thank Elizabeth Scott, a longtime Desire Mapping fan who took the workshop over 10 years ago, a feminist philanthropist based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And finally, the Freeman Foundation, also one of my long-term supporters, a foundation that centers the power of the erotic in LGBTQ liberation work. Thanks, everyone. Let's finish up with question of the day. Question of the day features one of the core questions in the workshop and invites you to work on it at home and also to write in with your experiences of the question or with any follow-up you might need to work on your desire map. Today's question actually has two parts. Here it is. First part. What have I told myself matters the most about my sex and sexuality? Or another way to say this is, what is a defining truth about my sexuality? That's part one. What have I told myself matters the most about my sex and sexuality? Or what is a defining truth about my sexuality? And here comes the second part. How does this belief, value, or identity cover over or help me deny another thing that matters? And perhaps matters as much about my sex and sexuality. So let's do the second part again. How does this belief, value, or identity cover over or help me deny another thing that matters and perhaps matters as much about my sex and sexuality? One final thought I had as we wrap up Shannon's incredible episode pertains to consent. I noted as she was talking about being surprised by a new partner's action, slapping her in the face, that listeners might have had questions about consent in that scenario. One of my favorite practices in meeting new people surely applied here. When I'm excited about a new sex partner and am gaining trust and exploring new territories, I may be willing to offer them what I call modified carte blanche. In constructing such a scenario, here is an essential tool that I bring. I feel very grounded in my ability to say what I need and identify where my edges are in any sexual situation. For me, as a survivor of sexual violence, it's a huge victory that I've developed this capacity over time. So when I'm excited about a new person and I want to explore, I let them know that I want them to run the fuck and go where they want to go with me. And I'll respond, and my responses will then shape how the sex develops. Together, we choose a safe word in advance in case we get into territory that doesn't feel good, and we can stop immediately. Otherwise, we are both free to explore, to test, to try out new things together. Personally, it's thrilling for me to offer someone modified carte blanche. 
At this point in my healing and exploring journey, it's reserved for the very few, the worthy. And as Shannon seemed to relate in her story, modified carte blanche, when we are grounded and free to offer it, can teach us things about ourselves, things we don't yet know, to our great delight. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, please head over to iTunes and give us a zillion stars. Send a link to your friends. Talk us up. If you'd like to respond to the show or stay connected, find us on social media under Just Sex Podcast and Desire Mapping. And if you have questions for me about your desire map or comments, you can email me at justsexpod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. I love to dream of fame. Maybe I'll shine. I'd like to see your name right beside mine. I can see we're in harmony. Looks like we both agree on what to do.